All right, so we are working our way through this book, and again, we're looking at large chunks of this text, not going through it verse by verse, because that would take us forever, but there's a lot for us to learn when we look into the Old Testament and we look into the narrative that is Exodus. Exodus is a telling of a story. Exodus is a telling of a story of God's faithfulness and how God keeps his promises to and provides for his chosen people. It is designed to tell the story of the monumental events that God has done for his people that they are specifically to go back and look to. All right, so you can take uh, the course of your life and look to areas that you have seen God God work, but this is a this is this is monumental. This is something that God foreordained and explains before it happens that I am going to do this, so that when this happens, you can set it up as a, a pillar of remembrance, so that you can look back on it generation after generation after generation and look at this specific event in history and remember the covenants that I have made and the fulfillments of the promises. Uh, that I have kept. So this is a, it's a big deal that the children of Israel are called to remember. So what we're doing now is we're going through the telling of this story. We're looking at the history, how they had been oppressed in the nation of Egypt. They had been made slaves, the killing of babies um, to keep the population down, and the rising up of Moses as a prophet, the spokesperson for God. And last week, what we talked about were the plagues, plagues one through nine, and we stopped right there, and we talked about how there are specific times that we see in the course of history, especially in the biblical narrative, of God uh, pouring out his judgment in extreme ways, um, and how that, is, how that is due, though that is not common, and this is one area in which the nation of Egypt was wrecked by the plagues, and it was a foreshadowing of the, of the, of the coming judgment. Um, Egypt being an enemy of God. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the 10th plague, the 10th and final plague, and the Passover that's connected with it. So as we've been doing, uh, we're going to read this text. So stay with me. Um, It it, it is three chapters long. It's not just seven verses. I'm reading in the ESV, and if you don't have the ESV, it's okay. I still think it's of value for you to follow along with me. And uh, listen as as we go through this text. Hear the word of the Lord. Exodus chapter 11, beginning at the very beginning. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any one of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you, and after that I will get out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, 
that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of the land. Chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and shall make. And you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The, the blood shall be assigned for you in the house where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be to you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a fast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh a holy assembly. No work shall be done in those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he be a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. And dip it in the blood in, in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land, the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep the service. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. 
Then the people of Israel went and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, and so they did. Chapter 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all of the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by the night and said, Go up, excuse me, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders, and the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that, so that they let them have what they asked, and thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked eleven cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leaven, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is, that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native in the land, but no uncircumcised person, person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the wound, womb among the people of Israel, both of men and of beasts, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leaven shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all of your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you a sign on your hand and on a memorial between your eyes. And the law of the Lord may, may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep the statute as it is appointed at its appointed time from year to year. 
When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, you shall give and shall give it to you. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are the males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when the time uh, to come, your sons ask you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. We're going to end there. Warren, I'm sorry, but would you give me a cup of water? Thank you. I should have thought of that. <laughs> Appreciate it. The tenth plague. All right, so we've been through the nine plagues. That's what we covered last week. If you weren't here, um, it was an, an, an array of God's wrath that was poured out on the nation of Egypt. And what we have here is the tenth plague and the Passover. And the question that I want to ask as we study this text is, why does this specifically need to happen as we're looking at the tenth plague? Why does this need to happen this way? Why, why death? Why the shedding of blood? And why does it need to be the firstborn? So with that question in mind, I think it's important for us to see God's laws as they were written. So jump back a book to Genesis chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like for you to look at this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Thank you, my love. So why this and why this way? Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of any tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the command of God to Adam and to Eve. The first command that is God's law. What comes out of God's mouth is God's law. All truth is God's truth. And God said, you must not eat of the tree, of the fruit of this tree, or consequences, or judgment will fall on you, is what it is. You will be guilty. Judgment will fall on you, and it says that you will die. That is the law. Moving forward, one chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I flipped to the wrong page. Genesis 3, verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. This is important. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. When Adam and Eve sinned for the first time, something was revealed to them. Their guilt. Their guilt. And so the, for the very first time, there are only two humans on the face of the earth. They realized that they were, had been exposed 
in a literal and a figurative sense. And so who were they naked before? They were naked before God. That their sin showed them guilt. It brought them something that hadn't been there before. Guilt and judgment that was due them. And so what did they do at this point with their guilt and their shame? They took what they could, leaves, and sewed it together and tried to hide, tried to cover, tried to make it look like as if there, weren't, there was no guilt is what they did. That was their effort after the crime had been committed. Guilt and shame entered because of their sin, and it left them rightly exposed and rightly targeted. Targeted not in a bad way, but that, that this was now a point of judgment that needed to happen, and they knew it. When I was young and dumb and in college, um, I went to visit my parents and was driving home, and I was speeding uh, pretty, pretty fast, you know? I say pretty fast, I'm sure you're all worse than I am. <laughs> um, but um, fast enough to where I was looking for police officers. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, there, he was hiding, you know? Who knew that? And so I specifically remember, I mean, in the fast lane, flying and behind a bridge embankment, there was a police officer, and it was one of those where it was almost like our eyes met, you know? <laughs> And, like, I mean, he just pulled out immediately. And I had this feeling, truly this feeling of, of sinking. Just, I remember feeling, I'm sitting there in my car. I didn't have a bunch of money. Nobody wants to get pulled, get, get pulled over. But this sinking, like, like, I'm caught is what it was. And, again, in my young and dumb and, and foolishness, in the moment, I, I somehow thought that I could hide behind a semi. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but you slow, you slow way down to the speed limit, you know, do, 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 do. and like kind of tried to put myself in the busyness of. Tra- I mean, you look at it and it's and it's just dumb. I mean, he saw me. Thank you, Mary Elizabeth. He saw me, like I had an old beat up like Taurus. It, you know, it wasn't like. I mean, he saw me and I got pulled over. And I got fined, and um, I went to court thinking I can get it less, you know, lessened, and it, it, I, I didn't. Like it was, it was the straight up fine for for going however much over I was going. I was caught, and it's not one of those. Yeah, but everybody's doing it. It's not one of those. Um, I've been, I've done this before, but that moment when you know that that you deserve this. It's not a question of whether or not you were sinning. It's not a question of whether or not, you know, his word versus my word. Like, it was, I mean, to be a bit dramatic, but it was like, it was doom, essentially. It, and it was due me. It, it, was, it was justified. And that was that feeling, and that is the feeling that Adam and Eve had when their guilt was exposed of that, of that, of that dropping feeling in their gut of, oh no, I have done the thing that I ought not do, and judgment is due me. This is the foundation of God's laws and consequences for his glory and for your, and for your benefit. So moving forward in Genesis 3.19, there's a consequence of death, which we already saw in chapter 2. 
And God speaking to Adam as a representative for all mankind, he says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread and you shall return to the ground. This was not the case pre-fall. You shall return to the ground from out of it you were taken and for, and for you are dust and to dust you will return. There is a judgment that is cast upon man that is both immediate and delayed. All right, Death entered the scene, but it wasn't immediate by God's mercy. Death entered the scene emphatically, even though in chapter 2 it said, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. On the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So death entered the scene, but not immediately by God's mercy. So moving down to Genesis 3.21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, of skins, and he clothed them. This is the first shedding of blood. Adam and Eve thought that they could do it themselves. They could, thought they could take their guilt and say, I'm just going to sew some leaves together and cover this thing that we have done. And maybe we'll, we'll look as if we hadn't sinned, but it was futile. And so God killed an animal or some animals as an act of mercy to hide their guilt in a way that only God could. It was only temporary because one day Adam would die and he would return to the dust of the ground. But by God's mercy, it wasn't immediate and it, God's wrath was satisfied for the moment through the shedding of blood of an animal. So if we, if we take that concept and we fast forward back to the death of the firstborn, we see the truths of Genesis chapter 3 and the consequences of sin, the wages of sin is death, applies. As we discussed last week, there are times in history where God pours out his right judgment in significant ways. The nation of Israel had been a god of pagan idolatry, a, god, uh, a nation of unusual cultural brutality, and the killing off of babies to control a people group. And Pharaoh saw himself as God. And when Moses approached Pharaoh with the words of the true God, Pharaoh said, who is this God and what does he have to do with me? And not only that, who is this God and what does he have to do with me, but I'm going to push back on you, Moses, and turn up the brutality on God's chosen people just to show who's God here, is what Pharaoh said. There was, this, was a... A, a particular depth of this sin that God said, enough. And I'm going to show my right due judgment on you. Thus, a judgment of death was being called in, as was right and prescribed by God in his own laws. And so the judgment of the tenth plague was placed on everybody, not just the Egyptians. Because the whole point of the Passover is that there is a substitutionary option here. But if you want to survive, blood still has to be shed. So the tenth plague was cast for all on the, on the Hebrews and on the Egyptians. All are guilty. All are due sin. But the acknowledgement of guilt is not enough, just, just as it is today. To acknowledge that we're all sinners and we're all broken, we're all fallen, we all fall short of the, of the glory of God, that's important. You need to understand that, but that isn't salvific. That doesn't, acknowledging that doesn't save you. 
there must be an act of submissive obedience in order to believe in this God in a, in a salvific way. So all are guilty, but there is an opportunity for mercy by the shedding of blood. Blood was required, just like in the garden, and the Passover showed that there was a literal substitution in a lamb whose blood could be shed in the way in which God explains as an act of, of God showing his mercy and withholding his judgment on mankind. What's interesting here, and I want to make a little sub-point here, is that this was available to everybody, not just the Hebrews. Uh, the judgment was on all, and the Passover option was available to all. Um, jump back to uh, Exodus chapter 12. This is really cool, and it should speak to us today. Exodus 12, verse 38 says, Look at verse 37. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, period. A mixed multitude also went up with them. A mixed multitude of different people groups. Bump forward to verses uh, 48 and 49. It says, if a stranger, I mean a non-Hebrew, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover, let all of his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. But an uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among us, that those people that are not part of the children of Israel still have opportunity to, to worship the true God. And this isn't just somebody passing through that says, hey, I want to participate in this feast. The act of circumcision was a, was a submission to Jehovah God and saying, I, I am looking at the promises that were given to Abraham and the children of Israel, and I'm submitting myself to that God and that promise with this people group, and I'm joining them figuratively through circumcision so that I can participate in this mercy. And that's just a little... Side note, but it's a beautiful thing. And some people may, may ask, you know, throughout the course of the Old Testament, it seems to be all about the children of Israel. Well, what about, I mean, we don't see a whole lot of missionaries in the Old Testament. You look close enough and you will. That, that God's mercy has always been available to everybody. Always. But it always requires submissive obedience. Um. So the Passover, what happened on the night of the Exodus? The Passover is explained to us a couple different times. Um, we see it primarily in, in chapter 12, uh, the first half. And uh, what we see predominantly in the Passover feast is that it is set up to be very specifically a time of remembrance. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 Say that the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. But they rewrote the Jewish calendar for this event. If you go in and, and look back at the, at the Egyptian cal calendar, the month of Abib, 
um, was in the last third of their of their calendar year. And there's an actual rewriting of the calendar here to designate this as the first part of their calendar. I mean, the, the, the monumental event of the Exodus is, is so clear through this text that this is to be remembered, that we're doing this to be remembered. They rewrote the calendar for it. Uh, the text here deviates from explaining what is supposed to happen on the night of the Exodus, and then it goes into explaining this is how you're going to keep this as a yearly memory back to the night of the Exodus. So it kind of jumps back and forth between this is what you do on the night that you flee, and then this is what it should look like yearly from this point forward as an act of remembrance. There's to be a lamb who is a year old. It should be a male without blemish. You're to kill the lamb at twilight after keeping it in your home for four days. You shall take a bunch of branches from a hyssop bush, dab it in the blood of the lamb, and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel in your doorway at your home. You're to cook it, roast it, prepare it, eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. When you do this as a family, you're to have your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so to leave quickly. And on that night, at midnight, the Lord will pass over your home. When he sees the blood, designate, proving your act of obedience, he will pass over because he sees that the blood has already been shed, and it doesn't need to be asked of you again. The tenth plague comes to Pharaoh, and all over Egypt there is great wailing and despair, and the children of Israel are released. They leave after 430 years, being two million people strong, starting as just 70 people with uh, Joseph and his brothers and their families. So that's, that's the Passover night, all right? This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take your lamb, and in a couple days, the, uh, the Lord is going to pass by, and, and, and the firstborn will die. This is the feast that you're supposed to eat, and you're supposed to be ready to go. Pharaoh called, uh, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron in the middle of the night and said, go. And so they left in great haste. So that's the night. That's the Passover meal on the night of the Exodus. But then you have something instituted called the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, if you look at the, in the scope of the Old Testament, you see all kinds of sacrifices. You see all sorts of feasts, and it can just be confusing because we don't do this stuff anymore. And so as you read this text, and even maybe as I was reading it this morning, maybe you, in your mind you got lost. Of like, okay, so slaughter, don't break bones, eat it, don't keep it, unleavened. Like, I don't know half of those words, you know. Like, is there an unleavened section at Harris Teeter? I don't, I don't know. You know, it just, it, it, it seems old school and just not something we practice. But the bulk of this text is about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so I want to kind of go through and explain what it was and why it was put in place, because it was observed for generations, generations and generations, and there's a direct application for us even today in their practicing this commanded law out of the mouth of God, this feast that was to happen yearly. It was a memorial. The theme of this being a memorial is over and over and over. When your kids ask, what is this for? You shall do it from generation to generation. It'll be as it were written on your hand and on your, on your forehead so that you remember, so that you remember, so that you remember. It is all through this text. 
The bulk of this text is about remembering and that, that God has set up a law for the sake of remembering. And this is important. God is not just saying, remember, here. He is saying, remember. He said it is of the utmost importance for you to remember, but he is saying this is how you remember. Knowing the word of God is so important because so often we could take a concept from God and say, I am going to take this God concept and then I'm going to figure out my application. And that's how we forget things. (laughs) That's how we forget things. And what God is doing here is he's saying, I have made this promise. I have done this thing. I am telling you to remember, and this is how you remember. And it's quite detailed. It's a feast on the first, of, first month of the year, the month of Abib. And it starts on the seventh day. Excuse me, it starts on the 14th day, and it goes to the 21st day. It's seven days long. There's an assembly of worship at the beginning, and there's an assembly of worship at the end. And of, of those seven days, you're to eat unleavened bread. There shouldn't be any leaven in your house. There shouldn't be any leaven in your, in your entire community. Leaven represents uh, speed because they had to leave quickly, but it also represents the expulsion of corruption because leaven is a fermenting agent. Fermenting is rotting, and it's just symbolic of the rotting nature of sin because, I say it all the time, but sin left unaddressed always gets worse. And so there's this concept that you're supposed to purge yourself by the blood of the lamb of all of your sin. Get rid of it all. Get all the leaven out and take this entire week and focus on what I have done for you in the Exodus. Um, Part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it was to happen every year. It was the purging of sin. And part of the feast was also the consecration of the firstborn that we see in chapter 13. The firstborn of all animals were to be given, in a sense, tithed to God, which meant sacrifice, which is an animal sacrifice that they would be killed for God in the shedding of blood. All of this as an act of mercy that we've already uh, unpacked here. The firstborn of man are to be consecrated, but they can be redeemed instead of sacrificed by the blood of the lamb, that you can take a lamb and substitute the death of your firstborn son by killing of a lamb, thus redeeming him. We see the symbolism here, right? Isn't it beautiful? All of these are types. We've talked about types over and over. Type is a literary feature. It is a a, a shadowed, veiled, incomplete representation of something greater to come. And so we see the Feast of Unleavened Bread, We see the promises that God had made. We see the fulfillment of those promises, how he he continues to keep them. He calls for an act of remembrance, and he specifies this is how you remember. What are you supposed to remember? God's promises, and that he keeps his promises. What are you doing if you're not remembering? You're forgetting. So if if you're what are you forgetting? You're forgetting God's promises, and that he keeps his promises. And and what if you do if you forget God's promises, and that he keeps his promises? You sin. All right, it, it, it's, a, it's a very clear line of logic here. Remember, if you don't remember, you're going to forget. When you forget, you sin. When you sin, judgment rightly falls on you, and death comes. And I don't want that to happen, says God. And so I'm, I'm going to set this up for you. I'm going to set this up beautifully for you so that you can get together with your family, with your community, and you can take an entire week and just sit in awe 
and, and purge yourself of sin and look at your life and, and offer your sacrifices so that though death has come to you by God's mercy, he will hold it off for now by the blood of the Lamb. All pointing to the coming greater, clearer, perfect fulfillment of Jesus Christ to come. Because John the Baptist said at the beginning of the Gospels, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, just like this is what he said in the Old Testament. This is the, the exact hand and glove fulfillment in the New Testament. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just like all those years of the Passover. Just like it. So why don't we celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread anymore? Yearly, the Passover lamb was sacrificed, was supposed to be sacrificed, but pause here. What we see throughout the context of the Old Testament is the Passover was forgotten, generationally. <laughs> it happened. It happened. They forgot it. So 9-11 happened in 2001, 15 years ago, and I was 20, old enough, okay? And... <laughs> I remember, you know, watching the whole thing unfold, and, you know, there was definitely this don't forget, we will never forget, always remember mentality, and flags were, were raising high, and, you know, military, I mean, all this stuff, and there was this sense of camaraderie, and I remember my, my grandparents talking about not feeling stuff like that since World War II days, and... I remember specifically thinking, I don't ever want to forget this. I don't ever want to forget this. And I found some World War II or 9-11 documentary that really, like, in, in a good way, shook me up in remembering it. And I bought the thing on DVD. This is back when everybody had DVDs all the time. And I, I, I try to watch it every year. Lauren and I try to watch it every year to remember. Um, I did student ministry work, you know, for so many years, and, it's, and it just kind of blows my mind that it was 15 years ago, you graduate high school when you're 18 years old, so basically nobody from, you know, K through high school remembers 9-11 anymore, like they don't remember, they physically don't remember, so how do you remember what you don't experience, I mean, it's a legitimate question, I mean, I forget what I experienced, I mean, it seems so long ago now. And we watch those, that old footage, and it kind of becomes normal because I've seen it before 15 times, you know? And, like, I don't feel the things that I felt then. It's, it's, it's become normal. Yeah, it happened. It's now a chapter in the history book. I mean, how, look how fast this is forgotten. And I believe that 9-11, and I'm not just saying this to be, like, spiritual, but... It, and in a lot, and it just it pales in comparison of the monumental event of the Exodus. It pales in comparison of an of an entire nation that was literally enslaved and then freed by the hand of God. I mean, they saw it, and they saw the plagues. And before each plague happened, Moses said, "This will happen by the hand of God as an act of judgment on you." All right. So it's not this like, "Hey, do you think?" Do you think God has a hand in this? No. God is doing this to judge God's enemies and to free his people, keeping his promises. They saw it. Much less the Red Sea, much less the pillar, uh, the, the cloud and the pillar of fire that led them, much less God on the top of Mount Sinai that, 
that shook because of the presence of God and Moses walking down with bleached skin because he had been, I mean, aside from all that stuff, they still, they, this generation that saw it with their eyes still forgot and were judged and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and still made the golden calf, much less following generations. So this feast is important. I think that if we, if we set aside seven days to hear stories of 9-11 and people who survived 9-11 and the heroes of 9-11 and, and hear the tragedies of fathers and sons and daughters who died in 9-11 and the, and the consequences of, the, of families that had lost and, and however that plays out in terrorism and uh, PTSD, if we, if we heard those things and dedicated ourselves to seven days of remembrance, it would, it would resonate. It, it, it would just would. I'm not saying that we do that, but I'm saying that God is doing this stuff not flippantly, not just because this is what old people, old, ancient people used to do as they had feasts. All the, he's saying this, this is worth your time. This is worth your son's time. Explaining, talking to him, and telling him the, the situation that you were in, seeing the hand of God free you not they're not just doing those things but they're, they're they're promises that have been kept because they were they were spoken to us and so we can trust this god now he he made the promise he fulfilled the promise and and now we're living in the glorious consequences of the fulfilled promises and this that's your god too this is on purpose Let's look at the uh, New Testament. Luke, chapter 22. Why don't we celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread anymore? As was commanded by the mouth of God to do as an act of remembrance. Did we just grow out of it? Luke 22, verse 7. This is Christ and his disciples. Then came the day of unleavened bread. All right, so Christ was celebrating the feast of unleavened bread and the Passover. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. Verse 8. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Passover meal was the beginning point of the uh, seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jump to verse 14. And when the hour came, he, meaning Christ, reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, in my blood. 
what Christ is doing at the very Passover meal is saying that there is now a new covenant. There is now a new shedding of blood that, that, that passes all of the lambs throughout the course of history. There is a perfect lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And this is the Last Supper. This is the Lord's Supper. And by the breaking of my body and the shedding of my blood, there no longer needs to be a continual offering for the temporary mercies of God. It's complete now. It's fulfilled now. By my shedding, this is a new covenant. And it's better than the old covenant. And it takes the place of the old covenant because it's bigger and it's better and it's eternal. So do this in remembrance of me. You don't have to flip there, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what we see here is the beginning of a new command of the taking of the Lord's Supper, which we take very seriously. That this is like the Feast of Unleavened Bread with the New Covenant. Now, what is not outlined for, in Scripture for us is the routine by which we are to take the Lord's Supper. Um, but it does say that we are to take it, that this is to be done in remembrance of what Christ, the Lamb of God, did that day on the cross. So when we take the Lord's Supper as a church, that's why we stop. That's why we pause. It says in 1 Corinthians that you, you are to search yourself, and to, 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 to confess your sin before you take the Lord's Supper, that you are to purge the leaven before you take the, the Lord's Supper. And, and that judgment will fall on you if you take the Lord's Supper and you're not part of the body of Christ. It's serious. Similar language to the Passover, isn't it? But you do. And by so doing, you remember. If you don't remember, you forget. If you forget, you sin. And you sin, there's judgment. So we take the Lord's, Lord's Supper very seriously. We, we take it quarterly as a church. And I believe that when we look at texts like this, we need to ask ourselves, are we remembering? And that's, that's kind of a broad, vague question. But as believers now, after the cross, we, we, we are called to remember the gospel. We are, we are called to set up for ourselves remembrances in our life. Now, you know, maybe you heard all growing up that, you know, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day. Everyone would sing that song, you know? And I think, you know, oftentimes you, you, you see that stuff and, you know, you just kind of have this go get them, do it yourself kind of attitude. And if you don't read your Bible and pray, then you just feel this guilt and I don't measure up and I should be doing more. I could be doing more and blah, blah, blah. But there's a call on the believer to the gospel. 
the, the work that Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, and he died on the cross without blemish, thus conquering death and sin, and he went into the grave where he stayed there, dead, and rose back to life by the, his own power as God, just proving that death and sin have been, de- have been defeated, and that he rose to sit at the right hand of God as an intercessor, as a mediator between God and man. To think through that, that he did that for me, that that happened, that, 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 that when he died on the cross, he knew what he was doing. It didn't just kind of unfold in this unfortunate series of events. He's like, well, I'm gonna, just going to go ahead and do this. It was preordained that he would do that. That's why the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, and the command to observe this yearly was given before the 10th plague was, was, was poured out. Like, this is going to happen. It was a preemptive remembrance. This is going to happen, and this is what, how you do to avoid it by God's mercy, and this is how you remember it from here, here forward to the final fulfillment of Christ on the cross. And so what are we doing to set up remembrances in our own life? As you spend time in the Word, make sure that the retelling and the re-remembering of the gospel is part of your quiet time and that the speaking of the gospel is something that happens routinely between you and your believing family members and friends. I just think that, you know, over and over it says, tell this to your sons, tell this to your sons. It's speaking generationally what happens, that if you're a believer and you have a believing roommate, a believing spouse, you're dating somebody who's a believer, you have believing friends, you have other believers in your community group that actually verbalizing and speaking the gospel, not like witnessing to each other, but speaking the gospel in it, calls remembrance and where there's where there's remembrance of what christ has done you're just stronger for it you're more resolute in your life and you're further away from forgetting you're further away from sinning so there is a strong call of remembrance on each of our lives so may we remember the goodness of the gospel may we look at how it was observed in the old testament in the feast of unleavened bread and the passover and the blood of the lamb that was shed and that we now live in an era that benefits from the shedding of the blood of the eternal lamb of jesus christ father i thank you for your goodness and for the gospel i thank you for the gospel that we see in exodus and father i thank you that by your mercy you have preordained us to live on the other side of jesus And that we can look back on those things and may we set up memorials of remembrance. Not just the Lord's Supper, but also in the gathering together of believers for the sake of remembering the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. Please help us with that because we all struggle. It's it's not easy. It's hard. May we not give up the, the meeting together of the believer weekly. And these things, we ask them in Christ's name. Amen.